Hi, this is Lauren Grove from The Talk About Town, and you are listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to Eat Blog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave eBlog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Hello there, food bloggers. Welcome to eBlog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 308. Today, Lauren is here with me, and she is going to talk to us about email marketing tactics. Lauren Grow, the owner and founder of Talk About Town, a marketing agency focusing on clients in the blogging space, has been hard at work connecting readers with recipes for over five years and approaching six years. Beginning as a social media writer for Fresh April Flowers, Lauren has scaled her business and currently has 20 clients in the blogging world on any given day. An expert in email marketing, Lauren specializes in creating a consistent, approachable, and profitable email plan for clients, ranging from big to small. Lauren prides herself on owning the voice of her client and adapting to the needs of the reader. In Lauren's world, it's all about opens and clicks. Lauren, I'm super excited for our chat today. How are you? I'm doing well, Megan. How are you doing? I am good as well. I'm so happy to have this chat with you. But before we dig into email, we want to hear what your fun fact is. Yes, of course. I was thinking about this one. I'm ready to share um, one of my most recent fun facts. Uh, When it was right before the pandemic, it was March, early March 2020, I stumbled upon a big time fixer upper home. It was built in 1850. It's a brick um, home in Westchester, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. And I had great timing. I ended up purchasing the home, which was my first home. And it was a full remodel, a full gut. Um, And my dad, who was incredible in remodeling the entire thing himself, uh, we worked on it for about nine months. And it's where I live now, but I learned a lot through that process. Oh my gosh, an entire remodel. You have to have learned so much. I did. And I am not quite ready to decorate another home anytime soon. Uh, I bet. (laughs) It was a kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity and, and grateful for my dad and my boyfriend and my brother who helped on that project. Oh, amazing how your little team came together and accomplished such a huge feat within nine months. I think that's a really short time frame considering the entire house got redone. So, so cool. I love that. And I bet you are just kind of over (laughs) decorating (laughs) and preparing a house, maybe another decade or so. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, You are here to talk about email marketing tactics. I'm always excited to learn about this topic. It's something that I personally like dabble in occasionally when I talk to someone who knows a lot about it, I get inspired and I'm like, I should probably do more, but I don't consistently keep it up. And maybe this will come up in our conversation, like how to be consistent with it. But I would love it if you just started out giving us an overview of why you believe email marketing is so important. Sure. Absolutely. And I 
Um, I came to love email marketing for a number of reasons, but I believe the reason I love it is actually the reason why it's important. It's a list of people who are your biggest fans. They have already raised their hands as someone who is interested in hearing what you have to say, interested in the product or service or recipe in this instance that you provide. Um, And you own that list. You own the people who are your biggest fans. And we all know, we all talk about it. If Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, fill in the blank were to end tomorrow, you still have an Excel sheet or a database of those biggest fans. Um, And beyond that too, I think it's probably one of the most intimate connections that we have with readers. Um, I think social media is very public and it can be intimate in, in terms of relationship building, but there's nothing quite like receiving something in your inbox or, you know, in the olden day, maybe something in your physical mailbox from an individual um, that's personalized or meaningful. Um, so I think it's a great way to really build an intimate relationship with the people who are obviously important to your business. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It is such a unique way to connect and it's something that we are in control of. I think we've all experienced that moment or two or maybe many more when like a social media network went down or we had like that moment of panic where it's like, oh my gosh, what if all of my followers just vanish? Like something weird happened. Stranger things have happened, right? So with an email list, you actually have direct access to these people and it's all within our control, which I love. Yeah, absolutely. And let this be a reminder, if you have an email client and you have a number of subscribers, make sure to occasionally export those subscribers um, and back them up on just your desktop or your hard drive um, if something were to ever happen to your account. Oh, that is such a great recommendation. Okay, I love that. Okay, we need to start with an email service provider, right? Or someone that we use to kind of send out our emails to our email list. So how do we go about picking the right one for us? So of course, everyone knows there are a number of options out there and they're all competing for your business by offering competitive prices or the newest bells and whistles. I think there's an email client or provider out there for everyone. Um, But what I will say is I I have experience working on most and I'll name just a couple of the kind of heavy hitters, but MailerLite, ConvertKit, Mad Mimi is out there, MailChimp, FeedBlitz, um, AWeber is another one. And I find in all of my experience that ConvertKit is a service that is a little bit more expensive, but it really drives what it says it does best. Conversions, opens, clicks. Um, I think they have expertise in deliverability and it can be pretty user-friendly to build automations, but also those one-time broadcasts. Um, I think MailChimp, uh, MailerLite and Flowdesk is another one. They all achieve much more beautiful emails if that's something that's important to you. Um, so making sure you think about if you're a beginner, if you're advanced, how large your list is um, and what's really important to you at the end of the day. Uh, many of my clients, they're all about clicks and opens. So maybe Flowdesk would not be the best option. Um, so really review and, and understand the pricing levels But pick one that aligns with your ultimate objectives and goals. 
I've found that the pricing kind of is all over the place. Some of those providers have like tiered pricing and some have flat pricing. So you literally just pay one rate forever. Like Flowdesk, I know is like that. Um, So yeah, like really digging into that before you get into it because they can go up pretty rapidly. I know ConvertKit is an amazing service, but I remember I'm not on there anymore. But when I was, I was paying a lot of money and I wasn't really utilizing it to the best of like what I should have been utilizing it for. So just having that knowledge, I think is really important. Yeah. And understanding a lot of people who are food bloggers and might not have a sophisticated email marketing plan or approach, I would say start with the basic level, especially if you're not importing thousands of subscribers right away, and you can always build, I wouldn't say shoot for the sky in terms of getting the most expensive tier with the biggest uh, package and bells and whistles, I think just keep it basic and affordable until you know it's something you can commit to. I think that is such good advice. And I love the array of options. There are so many options out there for really every price point, every need, if you want it to be prettier, if you want it to be just more functional. So there's a lot to choose from. And we can put all of that information in your show notes just so people can see and kind of um, click through and determine what is good for them. So how do we get started and give us some like maybe bite-sized ways to get started with the whole scope of email marketing? Sure. So um, I find that a lot of people who I work with, a lot of food bloggers enter this phase of analysis paralysis. They know email marketing is important and they want to do it. And I love it. But it's just about starting small. I think that the market and the industry can overcomplicate. Um, and I think that's um, not always the case for email marketing. I think it can be, a, you can have a simple approach and not overwhelm yourself. So I would recommend once you have picked your email client, or let's say in this case that you already have one, set a goal for yourself to just send one email a week. And that one email, you always have things to say. You can copy and paste directly from your blog. You can say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this this weekend with my kids. Um, here's what I plan to serve for dinner. Um, and I think there is a simple approach to that and always keeping it fresh, uh, adding some personal tidbits, but also driving the ultimate goal of converting readers to your blog. Um, so don't overcomplicate it. Start small aim for one email a week. And then from there, there's a lot of opportunity to build um, welcome series and simple ways, opt-ins. Um, and as you're more comfortable, obviously creating a way for people to opt in um, as soon as they enter your site, you know, have it in the, the top header above your logo, have it inline display for the opt-in, just making sure once you're confident, Um, that this is something that you can do once a week, making sure people can enter that community of subscribers. I love your point about just keeping it really simple because we tend to, speaking for myself, I can tend to overcomplicate things and think that I need to send this elaborate series out, you know, even if it is just once a week, it's like, I don't need to include like new recipes, old recipes. It doesn't all have to be in there. So just taking it back to like, 
I mean, if you're overwhelmed by it, literally just a couple sentences, right? With a link to your blog and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you bring it to having a conversation with your reader and just providing an update, providing a, a resource for them being the recipe or, you know, some other way that they can engage with you, that's what they're there for. Um, and I think, like I mentioned, the industry can overcomplicate having these elaborate series, elaborate nurture or funnel series. And at the end of the day, it's really a conversation point between you and the reader. Mm, I love that. Be the resource. If you think of it like that, it really just somehow simplifies it. And, it, you know, you can just provide what they need that week if there's something seasonal or I mean, it can be anything. But yeah, that kind of takes out the complication for me anyway. What are your thoughts about subject lines? Because I know a lot of people talk like I was talking to someone a while ago who was saying, don't even worry about the subject line because I don't know, they had reasoning for it. But I feel like the subject line is really important because it can either really captivate someone or really turn them off. So what do you what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I would say if there's one thing that keeps me up at night in a pop positive way. It's being creative with subject lines and pre-header text. I think sometimes we forget about ah, what pre-header yes. text can bring to the table as well. But um, I have many thoughts on subject lines. And what I will say is every food blogger, it can be different in this case. I think it depends a lot on your voice. If you're not a silly person or a goofy person, then you obviously know a punchy subject line might not be the best fit. But I would encourage everyone to have as much fun with it as you can. Um, test a lot of different things. Um, some examples of that might be try a question one week, something like, um, what are you serving for Easter dinner? Question mark. Um, and then maybe the following week, you flip it and you say, easiest dinner to put on your your table this week. Um, just try different variations of simple subject lines. Um, but I would also encourage, this is one of my favorite things to do, when you need some inspiration and say you're focusing on um, instant pot dinners, maybe think of an ingredient that's consistent in those recipes and then type in, um, let's say, chicken puns on the internet and see what comes up. I think you'll find jokes or creative quips that you can incorporate into your subject lines. Um, and I'll use one as an example. I, I saw somebody uh, put a milkshake recipe in their newsletters. It was a couple milkshake recipes. And the subject line was, um, my, my milkshake brings all the readers to the yard. And <laughs> I thought that was fun. You know, it, maybe it wouldn't hit yeah. for the right audience, but just something creative and, and push the boundaries a little bit. Oh, I like that. Push the boundaries. I'm always playing with this. Like I'll I'll do what you recommended and do like a question and then I'll do a statement, but I never go back and analyze it. Are you mm. good about doing that? Yeah. So marketing analytics, um, and you know, this could be uh, an entire book for email marketing analytics, but I always look at how I believe your marketing analytics oftentimes relate to the, your subject line. It's the first thing people see when the email hits the inbox. And it's oftentimes the reason people open or the reason people don't. Um, and when I look at those analytics, I'm looking at the open rates, most importantly. And then secondly, I'm looking at the clicks. I think that's really important. And we can dive into some recommendations to drive those clicks. 
But something that I would encourage people, especially who people who are just starting off, don't worry about that unsubscribe rate right away. I think um, that's not oftentimes a measure of success. You want screaming fans of your business. And those people are the ones that are opening and clicking. So don't get discouraged. Um, if you're seeing those unsubscribes, they're people who are eventually going to move away from your um, email list anyway. So really look at the open, the clicks over time. And when I test subject lines and preheader text, especially send times and um, send days, I give about a month or two of trial and error. Um, and I would encourage you to put something on your calendar to really look back and reflect on what that looks like. A month or two of trial and error. That is really smart advice. So it's not like a couple weeks. We should give it some time and let it kind of sit there and see what happens. You mentioned that we get frustrated when people are unsubscribing. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because I hear people say this all the time in the space that they are frustrated by that and they don't want to go through their lists and do cleanup and get rid of the people who aren't reading or opening the emails. But Really, those are not true subscribers, right? So we want to get rid of those people anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll um, I'll use Chef Dennis as an example. I've worked with him for, um, gosh, years now, probably three years. And he is excellent to work with in that he understands, opens, clicks, unsubscribes, and uh, him and I over the years have put a lot of time into list cleanup and re-engaging um, subscribers that have been lost or um, cold. But what it's done for his email program is it's increased opens and clicks over time because he's putting so much emphasis into consistency, but also tactics to either re-engage or kind of get rid of the dead weight. And I, you know, I don't mean to say that in a bad way, but um, making sure the list is people who are who want to be there, their fans, their readers. Um, and he, the email we sent last week, I think he reached a ten percent click rate, which was incredible to see. Um, so don't be afraid to put time into cleaning it up and getting rid of some folks. Hey there, taking a really quick break to chat about none other than Rank IQ. When you research keywords in most keyword research tools and you're looking at only single phrase monthly search volume, which is typically the case, you are only seeing 1% or less of the total picture. Rank IQ is able to run the extra complex algorithms for every keyword within the database because it manages less than a million keywords. There are 19 billion plus fewer phrases in the Rank IQ database because they only list the words that have low competition and high traffic for blogging niches such as food blogging. I have been running 98% of my content or more, both new and old, through Rank IQ since the beginning of 2022. That is for my food blog, Pip and Abby. And as of today, it is currently May 17th, as of the time I'm recording this, my traffic is up 40.71% year over year when compared to the same time period in 2021. This growth is mostly thanks to my strategy using Rank IQ as a primary keyword research tool and running most of my content through the robust content optimizer within the tool. Go to rankiq.com to sign up and see for yourself how amazing it is. I hope you love it too. Now back to the episode. 
You touched on this a little bit earlier, but we want people to open. We want people to click. What are ways that we can get people to click more? Sure. So um, I think a, a big opportunity is creating uh, sentences that lead into a call to action, um, especially sentences that have a button around it. So we know that um, sometimes in emails, not all images load, but that goes for buttons too. So make sure if you are driving folks to one specific recipe, let's say there's only one recipe in your email, uh, make sure that recipe link is hyperlinked somewhere else in the email. Um, And that is to make sure if that button didn't load or that picture of that food item didn't load on somebody's mobile device or desktop, there is still a way for people to click. Uh, And Oh, that's a yeah, great advice. I also also think about um, just older folks or or people who use technology differently. Maybe the button is something that's new to them or um, not the way that they choose to engage with the email. So giving people some options. Um, and I also think a creative way to hyperlink and I call them hot links, but let's say hyperlink um, is instead of saying the recipe title, maybe say. I know the easiest dinner recipe that you'll love this week. And then hyperlink easiest dinner recipe because that's leaving the reader curious. Hmm. Yeah, peaking curiosity a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then also speaking of peaking curiosity, I feel like that is a good strategy also for subject lines just to kind of let people guess a little bit about what you're talking about. Like maybe allude to something, but don't tell them so like, beef brisket recipe included. You could say something that's kind of alluding to a recipe that's coming up, but you're not exactly stating it. Yes, I do that all of the time. Um, And that's something in terms of starting simple, I think you can start simple that way. You know, you can create subject lines that are literal, or you can kind of tease it out. And I just worked on an email this morning, for example, the subject line was, it's the weekend with like the hallelujah hands emoji. And that's not telling anybody what's in that email, but we can infer what that looks like. Um, and it leaves people like, yeah, thank God it is the weekend. <laughs> um, you know, what, what am I going to make? Right. Oh, I like that. Yeah, you've given me a lot to think about. Okay, back to click conversions. Are there any other tricks you have for getting people to click? I would say in terms of um, click and opens, it's really important to know your audience, know what their problems and challenges are, and make sure that the content aligns with that. Um, It wouldn't make sense if all you were talking about was desserts, um, if your beat was healthy living or healthy eating. Um, So make sure you know your audience, make them want to click it, make sure it fits their value base and what they're there for. But I would also say, and this goes back to analytics and measurement, if you're a busy mom or a busy dad, think about what time of day and um, time of week that your audience would resonate with that message. Um, So make sure if you are sending an email about the weekend, that it's close to the weekend. People are thinking about it, but also think about when that person, your target audience might actually want to open that email. Um, And I'll I'll say now that my um, research has showed that the weekend, despite what 
other research is out there is really the best time for a lot of food bloggers to send emails. And I think it's a result of when people have time to, to dig into that. They're either baking or cooking that weekend or prepping for the week ahead. Um, so just being mindful of what time that hits the inbox to drive those clicks. And do you recommend doing a little bit of experimentation with that as well? Like maybe sending it out at one time for a few weeks and then trying another day? Or how do you even go about experimenting with that? I would say it's very similar to the subject line research that you perform. Give a couple different things a chance. Um, you might have a great subject line at one one day in the evening, for example, but that's actually not the best time to send. So your analytics could be a little bit off. So try segment a month or two to give that a shot um, and try the most common times. I would say try a Tuesday morning, a Wednesday evening, but then really dig into what that Saturday morning and Sunday night um, time and day send looks like. And you might see consistent results over the course of that four to eight week timeline. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this has gone in seasons for me. Like, I think now we do Tuesday mornings, but for the longest time, Monday mornings worked really well. But then the person who writes my emails for me was like, oh, Mondays are no longer working. So this might even evolve over time for some reason. I don't I mean, it's like the same audience, but for whatever reason, it can change. Have you ever seen anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Um, something important to mess it, mention that just because one time and one day works for a year, it might not always stay like that. And I think we can prime the readers to expect that email newsletter on a Saturday morning. But I think throwing them off a little bit and, and giving them something unexpected is also important. Um, and I think that that's can be successful, especially if you reach that two or three email a week timeline, you can try a lot of different things. Um, and I would say too, food bloggers have such a bloggers as a whole have such an advantage, because if you look at times where you're seeing a lot of visitation to your blog, that's a guideline for you. That's kind of a shining star of saying, wow, there's a lot of people on my site on Friday morning. Let's try a newsletter at that time. Yeah. Right. Just digging into analytics just a little bit will maybe give you a few clues. You have that little grid that shows you throughout the week where most people are joining, like coming onto your site. So maybe try to align it with that and just see what happens. I think that's a great strategy. Do you have any other like email marketing tactics that you can run by us? You've talked about a few, but I'm wondering if you have any others quick. Yeah, sure. So um, some of these things, I, I wrote down a couple of tips I wanted to mention. Um, in terms of ADA accessibility and making sure your emails can be uh, digested and engaged by the reader, um, that's why I wanted to mention that sometimes images and buttons don't load. Um, so making sure your images have that back text uh, to explain it too, um, that's important. I'll also mention that buttons should have text that is dark, not white or another color. Um, and that's something that uh, a lot of folks have challenges reading that contrast. So making sure they stand out, but it's also just easier to read. Um, making sure that there is a call to action or a link above the fold. Um, we know what that means. I love that it comes from the days of newspapers and, and kind of times gone by, but 
making sure when you're looking at an email, especially on our phones, that the call to action or at least the way a reader can engage with you is right on that screen. They don't even have to scroll far. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of food bloggers specifically even move that button up to right under the first sentence. It looks a little weird, but it is a trend right now. And it's really to make sure people see that um, kind of number one priority. And it's really to convert. And as food bloggers, we know the importance of that, right? Because we try to do that within our blog posts, get a link, a click up high so that people have the opportunity to click over. So that same practice, just pulling that into your email, I think that's going to be well received. Any other little tactics you wanted to mention? Yeah, I think I have one more that I'd like to mention. Um, I found that in just testing different formats for newsletters and emails, that's something that performed well was actually either removing blog um, images, so recipe images, and just replacing it with a recipe name um, with no image can um, create kind of different engagement and clicks. People don't know what it looks like. So they think about it in their brain and they want to see what it lo looks like on your site. Um, so I think that's something to try. And then I would try the reverse of that. If you're somebody that just puts the title of recipes and hyperlinks, maybe try to throw a picture or two in there. So um, trial and error for what your readers enjoy. Something that we started doing about a year ago that I really like, and I, we will continue doing this for a little bit, is if we are featuring like maybe four um, recipes, what we'll do is we'll put like a sliver of each of the images within one graphic. So it'll be like one image with, and you'll see like just a sliver of each of the four recipes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you don't get to see the full thing. So it's kind of a tease. It's only one image. So you're not putting multiple images that need to load within the email. So that kind of kills two birds with one stone. And then right below it, we just put the links to the recipes. And that has done really well. I, I don't know how we fell upon that, but I, I like it. So we're running with it. Yeah, kind of goes along with what you were saying. Yeah, I love that idea. That leaves them wanting more. Um, so they go to your site to see. Yeah, exactly. Little tease is good, I think, because we want people to get in and we want people to open and we want people to click. So give a little bit of something more to be desired, right? So like pique that curiosity and then kind of string them a little bit like, you know, you want this. Come on, check it out. And it just builds um, a strong email marketing program because if somebody has that carrot dangled in front of them once, they're probably more uh, likely to come back the next week and be like, right. Ooh, what's next? Yeah, um, I so I think, think that. that's great. Uh, all right. What are your thoughts on consistency? I know consistency is a big piece of email marketing. You start showing up. People want you to keep showing up consistently. Yeah. Give us your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And I think this goes back to keeping it nice and simple. I think if we can keep it simple and you get that weekly email marketing program up, that's a massive success. I think you're um, well on your way to creating a profitable email marketing program. And um, even when it's challenging and you have other priorities and you're busy, um, know that when you start, there are readers who are waiting for that communication. There are people who want to hear from you. They want to see it in your inbox. Um, and it, of course, just like everything else, just like SEO on your blog, things take time. Uh, but it's one of those things I can promise you and guarantee you that if you stick with it and, and really um, 
tackle some of these approaches that we've already spoke about, but also try some new things that are best for your audience, for your voice, that you will see positive and profitable results over time, but only if you are consistent. Yes, I feel like this is an absolutely key point for so many pieces of our world, just being an entrepreneur in general. So not even talking food blogging or email marketing, but just showing up in certain areas that work consistently can reap such huge rewards. And we tend to underestimate that. It's so easy. I mean, it's such an easy concept, but to actually show up time after time is the hard part. But I think there's so much power there. Anything else about consistency? We have one last point I know you want to talk about, but I wanted to make sure we are done with that first. I think that's it that I want to, I mean, it's, it's nice and simple, but just being, being there every week. And um, I think you hit the nail on the head. You talked a little bit before about doing some testing and experimenting, um, but talk a little bit more about that and how to use analytics to dig into your email list a little bit more. We've talked a little bit about what it looks like to review opens, clicks, and unsubscribes. But what I would encourage you to do is take it one step further. And maybe this is something that you have an email marketing program that's working for you over the course of six months. So you take a deeper dive into what your emails look like on the back end. So in email providers and clients, you have the ability to open an email and see where people are clicking. Um, You can see if people are just hitting your first link and then they kind of ditch out and don't end up engaging with you in any further way. Or there might be an interesting tidbit there if people are scrolling all the way to the bottom of your email and then clicking. Um, So think about that. And I would also encourage you to look at some of your individual subscribers journey. Um, Every once in a while, I'll go into a subscriber list and I'll click on a random person. I have no idea who they are. And I'll just check in and see if I can learn more about who they are and how they fit into the target audience. And I'll I'll use an example. Um, I ended up clicking on a guy named Brian the other day. And Brian lived in Washington State. So he's on the Pacific Coast. This client lived on the East Coast. So also something that's important to think about what time of day that email is hitting Brian's inbox. If first thing in the morning, the East Coast person hits send. Um, So you can glean interesting things about that, but also watching how he entered the subscription list. So what opt-in he ended up going through, if he received a freebie, if he didn't, um, if he engaged with the welcome series, but then also how often is he clicking and opening these emails. So I would encourage, um, again, maybe this is kind of a two, 2.0 um, analytics dive, but really look at your readers as individuals, see what they're liking and, and try to imagine who they are, um, wait, especially when you're planning um, emails, but also when you're feeling like emails just are one more thing on your list, really think about who those people are um, and what kind of service you're providing them in their life. I think that is a tie for my second favorite point that you mentioned. So I loved the point about knowing your audience's pain points and maybe even having those like top of mind somewhere, having a list or somewhere where you remember them as you're writing your emails. I think that is such an important thing. And I actually have an email to schedule for next week. So I'm going to have that in my brain as I write it. So thank you for that. And then Yeah, tied with looking at one subscriber's journey and just 
taking the journey with them, see where they went from where to where and which opt-in and, you know, like the whole journey that they went through and your um, whole marketing scheme. So those are my two favorites. Are there any other things you want to mention before we start saying goodbye? Anything we missed, Lauren? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I know that uh, in previous podcasts, you've dove into welcome series and opt-ins and their importance. Um, but I think we covered the tactical approaches that I really wanted to highlight today. Okay, great. Well, thank you. This was so great. And it gave me a few different email related just nuggets to think about and carry away with me from our conversation. So it was super valuable. And we just appreciate you. Thank you so much, Megan. It was such a pleasure to be on this podcast. I'm such a fan. um, And I really appreciate your time. And hello to everyone out there. Aw, yes, I love that. Well, we will put together a show notes for you, Lauren. Uh, you can find those at eblogtalk.com forward slash talk about town. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online and on social media, etc.? You can find me online at talkabouttown.org. Um, I am accessible also by email, of course, and that's lauren at talkabouttown.org. Great. Well, thank you again so much, Lauren, for joining us today. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.